0: We pray. Our Father, we come to consider your word together now and we pray that you would help us to understand it, help us to to listen, to concentrate. Uh, But more than understanding it, we pray that you would help us to uh, live it out. We we remember that James said that uh, we're not to be hearers only, but doers of the word and it is our prayer that by your enabling uh, we would live out your word in a way that is to your glory and for the extension of your kingdom and we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, Amen Amen. I'm sure we've all had the uh, experience of listening to a sermon uh, and hearing the preacher say that long awaited and very welcome word finally, and you perhaps heave a sigh of relief and start to um, pick up your notes when they're falling on the floor, Um, start to think about perhaps what the last hymn's going to be, think about having tea and coffee and and whatever, only to find that he goes on and on and shows no sign uh, of stopping after all. Well, today, as we look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, you, you, you could get the impression that Peter is doing something similar, because he says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And you see, the verse begins with that word, finally. Uh, and yet, Peter's has about two and a half chapters left to go in the letter. He's only just over halfway through the letter and yet he's saying finally. You know, why is he saying finally? Is it that he, he thought he was at the end and suddenly thought of a load more stuff to add on afterwards? Well no it wasn't that at all because the the Greek word that's translated here as finally is really better translated as, as in summary. You know, rather than signalling that he's almost finished the letter what he's actually doing is, is saying that uh, he's bringing to a conclusion what he's been saying uh, in, the, the, in the previous section in, in, ver- in chapter 2 to uh, verse 11 through to chapter 3 verse 7 he's really saying to sum up or conclude what I've just been saying there and you notice that he's now addressing all of you Now, in chapter 2, 11 through to chapter 3, verse 7, he'd addressed various groups, hadn't he? Remember, he'd addressed Christian citizens, then Christian slaves or servants, and then Christian wives, and then in verse 7, Christian husbands. Well, having done that, he's now going on to address all of you. He's bringing it to a a conclusion, to, to, to a summary by saying, this, I'm now addressing every member of the church. I'm addressing uh, every member of the Christian community. Uh, regardless of whether uh, you fit into any of those previous categories or not, you know, even if you didn't fit into any of those categories, this applies to you. This applies to all of you. He's addressing all. Every believer within the Christian community. So the issue uh, he's now addressing is really how we relate to one another as members of, uh, of the body of Christ. How we relate to one another, relate to one another uh, together as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what does he have to say to all of you, all of us? Well, he goes on to give five uh, features or, or traits that should characterise us together as believers in Christ. Uh, as rendered in the ESV, they are unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. So um, before we think about those five characteristics or traits, there's a couple of things that, uh, that, that we need to, to note. Uh, firstly, I think it's important to recognise that this isn't a sort of checklist of, of things to do. Um, I, I don't know if you find it helpful to keep a, a, to, a to-do list. Um, certainly at my age now, I find it very useful because uh, I, I find it very easy to forget things. But you have a to-do list and you write down on that list the things that you need to do. And then you tick them off or cross them off uh, as you've done them. And it tends to be the case that the the number that you add to the bottom uh, is greater than the the number that you cross off. But at least they're there. uh, And it reminds you. And hopefully you do get round to to doing it uh, eventually. But that's a useful thing to do. Uh, But the things that Peter is mentioning here... uh, It's not like that. Rather than telling us things to do and then for us to tick off once we've done them, he's really uh, encouraging and even urging us to be a particular kind of people. He's highlighting characteristics that should always be evident among us. So it's not so much items that should be on the Christian's to-do list. Rather, these are items that should be on the Christian's to-be list. And they should always be on the the to-be list, because that's what we are to always be like. We should never tick them off. We can't cross them off and say, done that, because we should be continuing to be like that. They're they're to be our ongoing characteristics. The second thing to note uh, is that although these characteristics seem to be presented in the form of a list, you, you see them there, five items, it looks like a, a straightforward list, but actually th- these are presented in a, a recognisable uh, and commonly used structure. They, they take the form of what's called a, a chiasm, uh, and that's uh, named after the Greek letter chi, which is a, a sort of cross shape. It's a bit like our our, our letter X, but a little bit more uh, well, a little bit more. Cur- curvy a little bit more um uh, yeah a little bit more arty than, than our plain x but it, it's it's essentially a, a, an x shape and in a chiastic structure the first item is closely related to the last item uh, the second item is closely related to the penultimate item and so on depending on how how big it is But usually in in a chiasm, whatever is in the middle uh, of the list, that's really the the central theme, the, the highlight, the most important point. The middle item is the most central or most important point. So in this case, we see the first item is unity of mind. And the last is a humble mind. So they correspond to one another. And the second item is sympathy. Uh, and the fourth is a, a tender heart, so they correspond to one another, and the middle term is then brotherly love, so that's the central or, or most important characteristic uh, in, in in this list that's what's in view in this uh, in this structure so in, in view of the fact that it is this chiastic structure um rather than just looking at each characteristic in in the order in which that they're presented on, on the written page, uh, we'll rather we'll start by considering uh, unity of mind <coughs> and follow that by considering a humble mind because they go together. Uh, and then we'll consider sympathy followed by a tender heart and fi- because that's the next pair. And finally we'll consider brotherly love because that, if you like, is, is the overarching characteristic so let's um, firstly consider unity of minds. Um, by unity of minds, I think Peter really means something like harmony. He's saying, let there be harmony among, among you. And that's an emphasis that's often repeated in the New Testament. I'll um, just to give a few examples to, to illustrate that. If you look at Romans 15, 5 to 7, we read there that Paul said, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed you, for the glory of God. In uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, you, uh, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Uh, 2 Corinthians thirteen eleven. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And just one last example if we look at Philippians 2, 1-2. to 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So you see this repeated emphasis throughout the New Testament. You see the sorts of expressions that are being used. Live in such harmony with one another. All of you agree. Be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Agree with one another. Being of the same mind and being in full accord and of one mind. There's this constant emphasis, this picture of of harmony, uh, of oneness, of agreements. Now, that's not saying that we're all to be the same it's not suggesting that christians should all have the same tastes uh, the same gifts the same habits even the same point of view in some in some areas um we've got a general election coming up now this isn't to say that every christian must vote for the same party i'm sure we won't We'll have different political allegiances for, for various reasons. You know, there isn't a Christian way to vote. So there are things. It doesn't mean that we're we're exactly the same in everything. It's not encouraging a dull uniformity. Uh, rather, that the picture is one of of fitting together, one of accommodating one another, one of complementing one another. And I mean complimenting, not complimenting. We don't have to go around and say, oh, it's a lovely shirt that is, Or although it's not a bad thing to do that if you really mean it. But uh, you're complimenting one another. Harmony is a term that's often used uh, in music, isn't it? And harmony is very different from unison. Harmony involves different parts that, that fit together and blend together to make an individual, beautiful whole. So it's many parts, but making one whole uh, that, that, that's uh, that, 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 that's good and, and beautiful. Now, the individual parts might not be anything special. You know, some parts in the, the harmony might be very intricate and very impressive, and they'd stand on their own almost. But other parts will, if, if you single it out... It's actually quite dull, quite boring, quite monotonous. But in the context of the harmony, uh, it plays an important part. Uh, If it wasn't there, it would be missed. If it wasn't there, the whole would be lacking. And that's a good picture, isn't it, of of us as the church. We don't all have the same role. Some roles are perhaps quite pedestrian, quite low-key... But they're a vital part of ensuring uh, this this harmonious whole the beauty lies in the way in which they they fit together so that the whole really is greater than the sum of the parts you know no, no one part no one member is all important but together uh, they produce something that is uh, it is quite wonderful that's the sort of unity of, of mind or harmony that should be evident among us so it's not because we're all the same uh, and we, we share the, it's because we share the same ideas the same convictions about essential things uh, in terms of, of God in terms of salvation and living to please him as our loving heavenly father And we must also recognise that we don't share those ideas and convictions because of any sort of standard that's imposed upon us from without. We don't achieve that sort of harmony uh, simply on the basis of a a doctrinal statement or a confession of faith or a basis of faith. Useful as those things are, um, that's not what produces this sort of harmony among us, you remember right at the outset of the letter, um, Peter had referred to his readers uh, in chapter 1 and verse 3 as being those who had been born again to a living hope. He said right at the outset that God had caused us to be born again to a living hope. So, so the ideas and convictions that, that unite us stem from the new life. And the new nature that result from us having been born again. And that really is the source of all five of these uh, characteristics that we have uh, here in, in, in verse 8. So following the, the chiastic structure, uh, we find that closely related to unity of mind, uh, Peter then speaks of a humble mind. And Peter's really saying there that we are to be meek, we're, we're to be characterised by humility. And that was a, a very countercultural thing for him to be saying uh, in his day because in the Greek society of, of Peter's day, humility was viewed as a, a foolish and almost despicable thing. You know, that they saw no virtue in, in being humble because that was seen as weakness what what they valued was being strong, being assertive, being, being bold. And when you think about it, things haven't really changed very much, have they? Our society still tends to admire strong, go-getting types. Um, anyone who isn't naturally like that is very likely to be encouraged to have some assertiveness training. You know, people aren't uh, in your face enough. Oh, that needs to be trained how to be like that. Because that's viewed as being. Valuable. Admirable. Desirable. Uh, far cry from what we're being told here. You see believers in Christ. Are to be meek. And humble. And, and that shouldn't come as any surprise. Because that's what Jesus is like. Isn't it? In Matthew eleven twenty nine, He said. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus could do with some assertiveness training, or some would say, uh, but he described himself as gentle and lowly in heart. But given that Jesus is characterised by meekness and humility, it's hardly surprising that the New Testament often exhorts believers in Christ to also show humility. Just one or two examples. Uh, Ephesians 4, 1-3. This is Paul speaking. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, in the bonds of peace. Uh, Colossians 3, 12-13 Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Um, just one more example a bit later on in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 5 Peter says likewise you who are younger be subject to the elders clothe yourselves all of you with humility towards one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble so what's meant by being humble does it mean being a doormat so that everyone can walk over you Uh, does it mean having a A very low self-esteem and thinking, oh, I'm good for nothing. Well, that's not the idea at all. Biblical humility is much more positive than that. Um, I think a good biblical definition of what humility means is found in Philippians 2, 3 to 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's not to look at yourself as being useless. It's not to do yourself down. But it is to be more concerned about other people. It's to be prepared to let go of your rights for the good of others. That's a a biblical view of humility. So it's not to be a doormat, uh, but it is to be willing to, to do whatever is necessary for the good. Of others. See to be humble is to count others more significant than ourselves. It's not to say I'm, I'm worthless. It's just to say I think other people matter. I'm concerned about them. And to look to the interests of others. And that's exactly what Jesus did isn't it? Paul continued in Philippians 2. Uh, to say in verses 5 to 8. Have this mind among among yourselves. Which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, can't get any more important than that, any more significant than that, can you? If anyone has had a right to have a high opinion of himself, it was Jesus. Yeah, he could have gone around saying, I'm God. And it would have been true. He wouldn't have been, uh, that wouldn't have been idle boasting, that was the truth. And yet, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Well, if we all have that Christ-like humble mind then there will be uh, the unity of mind that peter mentioned at the outset if you have that uh, that humble mind then there'll be unity of mind competitiveness amongst us would undermine that unity of mind wouldn't it vying with one another to be top dog would undermine unity of mind but if we all have a Christ-like humble mind rather than competing against one another we'll be eager to serve one another to put one another first so having this humble mind feeds and supports the unity of mind that we were just thinking about that's why uh, we find humble mind being paired with unity of mind in this chiastic structure but then moving on uh, the next characteristic for us to consider is sympathy and Peter's now saying, in a sense he's saying we're to go beyond harmony we're to go beyond the, the harmony that's suggested by unity of mind we're to be those who show sympathy to one another we're not just to be those who get on with one another we're to show sympathy to one another And that means more than just being concerned about others, it involves truly feeling what others feel, uh, responding with, with thoughtfulness and with sensitivity to their needs. People who have genuine sympathy would never say something as trite as, I know how you feel, because they know how unhelpful that is, they're sympathetic enough to realise that that's not what's required. When somebody has a, a, a real need, when someone is really burdened, someone is really grieving, really down, whatever it might be, uh, saying I know how you feel doesn't really meet the requirement, does it? True sympathy expresses itself in a, often in a, a quiet way, a, a, a patient way, It involves listening, it involves waiting, it involves simply being there for a suffering brother or sister. Once again, of course Jesus is our great example of this. Um, We read in Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin you see jesus is able to sympathize with us because though being god he's also one of us he's one of us he's he's experienced human frailty he knows what it is to suffer he knows what it is to be opposed he knows what it is to be rejected he knows what it's like to face temptation all, all the things that that trouble us he's faced them he's experienced them so he is able he's able to sympathize with us and given that jesus sympathizes once again it's not surprising that the new testament often exhorts believers in christ to be sympathetic towards one another romans 12:15 rejoice with those who rejoice Weep with those who weep. Or something similar in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. So we're to have that sympathetic uh, attitude that, that, that characterises us. Well, we saw previously that unity of mind is fed and supported by us each having a humble mind. What, what feeds and, and supports this sympathy? But we following the chiastic structure. We find that sympathy is paired with a tender heart. Having a, a tender heart speaks of being kind hearted. We, we mustn't think uh, that it means being soft hearted, it doesn't mean being gullible or, or sentimental. Rather, it's having a genuine and deep compassion. A, a literal translation of the Greek would be feel generous in your belly or feel generous in your guts. It's something that comes from deeply within you. It's, it's, a, it's something that's very deep held, something very very real. There's nothing superficial about it, nothing shallow about it. It comes from... Deep within, so it's it's far from sentimental. It's not wishy washy. It's something that is is of of great importance and comes from it comes from deep within. Uh, Be generous. Feel generous in your in your belly. It's not primarily about outward conduct. It's about what's inside you. It comes from your inner being. And I suggest that the showing the sort of sympathy that Peter mentions. Uh, mentioned here requires such a, a tender heart. You see, there can be a, a sort of hypocritical sympathy, can't there? That that outwardly acts uh, as though there's concern, and yet inwardly it feels very different. Now, it, a tender heart is what's required to ensure that sympathy is genuine and not just a a mere facade. I've really struggled to think of an example. I, I thought there must be a good example of that, and I haven't thought of one, but if any of you can, tell me afterwards, because I, I feel there should be a, a good example of kind of false, uh, shallow sympathy. But anyway, moving on. Um, again, Jesus is the supreme example of tender-heartedness, isn't he? Uh, when, when Jesus was confronted by a leper, we read in Mark 1 verse 41, Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. You see, he was moved with pity. He didn't just feel a bit sorry for him and thought, oh, well, I've got the power. I'll I'll sort him out. He was moved with pity. And that came from within, from his guts, from his stomach. There was that deep pity that moved him to do something. If you look at um, Mark 6.34 Again speaking of Jesus When he went ashore he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things Now that was before Jesus fed fed the 5,000 and you see he had compassion on them Why did he have compassion on them? Well, because he saw they were like sheep without a shepherd. I think that means that he saw their spiritual lostness. He saw their spiritual need. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And seeing that, he was uh, filled with compassion. So what did he do? Well, he began to teach them many things. He told them... What he needed to know. He, he, he spoke to them in such a way that they might no longer be sheep without a shepherd. He, he, he spoke to them of the gospel, of, of the Father's love. Then there's a, another example. Um, if you look in Mark 8, verse 2, uh, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days. And have nothing to eat. Now this was before the, the feeding of the four thousand, and you see, once again, he was moved uh, w- with compassion, but this time it was because he saw that they had nothing to eat. He was he was moved by their their physical condition. He was moved by their their, their physical need. So I think from that we see that a, a tender heart is one that is sensitive. To all sorts of needs. Whether they be spiritual needs. Or, or physical needs. A, a tender heart is sensitive. To, to whatever needs uh, it sees before it. Well given that Jesus is the one who is, is tender hearted. It's not surprising to find that uh, Peter is not alone. In exhorting believers in Christ to be tender hearted. In Ephesians 4 verse 32. Uh, we read be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, that's a, an exhortation, not simply to be kind to one another. It's not a case of being urged to be outwardly kind regardless of what you actually think or feel. No such kindness is to stem from us being tender-hearted. Remember that uh, God looks on the hearts. have another example in Colossians 3, 12-13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. There Paul's speaking of us putting on uh, putting on the new nature that we have in Christ and it includes compassionate hearts, new hearts that we have through the new birth their, their compassionate hearts. Well finally we, we reached the climax of this uh, chiastic structure, you know, we said that in a chiastic structure the middle term is the central or most important point and in this instance that is brotherly love uh, and speaking of unity of mind stemming from a humble, humble mind and sympathy stemming from a tender heart, Peter's been building towards brotherly love uh, as, as the pinnacle or, or, or if you like the summit of the characteristics of a, a Christian community. Um, you, you could say that brotherly love uh, includes unity of mind, a humble mind, sympathy, and a tender heart they're, they're components of true brotherly love that they they, they they sum it up as such it's it's preeminent and an overarching uh, paul speaks of the priority of love in 1 corinthians thirteen thirteen doesn't he? he says he says so now faith hope and love abide these three but the greatest of these is love it's not surprising when you are Remember the commandment that Jesus gave? We sang it together before, didn't we? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love for one another should characterise us as God's people. Love for one another is to be a a clear characteristic of disciples of Jesus. Hebrews 10, 25 says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. We're exhorted to stir one another up to love. In, in the ESV, our text speaks of, of brotherly love, and that's because uh, the, the Greek word for love in this text is Philadelphia. Uh, that means brotherly love. The NIV simply says love one another, um, and that, that really misses the, the emphasis that there is here on brotherly love. Peter's already emphasised that. Back in chapter 1, 20 to 23, he said, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth through a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Why are we to love one another earnestly why are we to be characterised by brotherly love well once again Peter's saying it stems from the fact that we've been born again this brotherly love comes as part of, of the new nature that we have through being born again we're born again of the spirit of God into the family of God so we're to be characterised by, by brotherly love we're in a family There's a a family relationship there. And there's to be brotherly love amongst us. We're brothers in Christ. Not not surprisingly we find the New Testament repeatedly speaks of brotherly love. In Hebrews 13 verse 1 we read, Let brotherly love continue. Or if you look at Romans 12, 9-10, Let love be genuine abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honour. We said before, didn't we, that uh, competitiveness amongst us uh, would undermine unity of mind. Well, there is one exception. We're We're to be competitors in the sense that we are trying to outdo one another in brotherly love so that's the one exception it's only compet- the only competitiveness that there is to be among us is to be a-, a striving to love one another with brotherly affection and to outdo one another in showing honour Paul commended the Thessalonian believers as, as role models in this um, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9-10 he said now concerning brotherly love you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia but we urge you brothers to do this more and more you notice that although he commended them for their brotherly love it does seem that the Thessalonians were outstanding in, in that regard. But he also urged them to continue to love one another more and more. Uh, you get a similar emphasis in 1 Thessalonians three eleven to 12 where he said, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another, and for all, as we do for you. You see, it wasn't uh, he wasn't just urging them to love one another, that they were doing that, and that was good. But he was asking the Lord to make them increase and abound in love for one another. And you see, Paul loved them in the same way. His love for them uh, was increasing as well. And this is an indication to us, isn't it, of of the importance and, and the priority of brotherly love within the Christian community. We can never love one another too much. The emphasis is clear, isn't it? doesn't matter how much you love one another, you can do it more. It can increase. It needs to increase. So that was Paul's challenge, really, to the Thessalonians, wasn't it? Continue and Increase. Well, did they? Did they manage to, to meet that challenge? Uh, I, I guess being sort of a fairly c- cynical, typical Brit, my my natural inclination would say, no, of course they didn't. They're bound to have fallen short. But they did. You see what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. He urged them to increase in love and sometime later he could say, yes, your love has increased, it is increasing. What a wonderful success story. Um, they, they did increase in love, their, their love for one another continued to grow well what a challenge that is for each one of us, isn't it? You know the the question we must ask ourselves is not just do we love one another but whether our love for one another is increasing? Is our unity of mind increasing? Is our humility of mind increasing? Is our sympathy increasing? Is our tenderness increasing? of hearts increasing well may we with the lord's help be able to say well yes it is Um, no doubt with fits and starts i'm sure it won't be a a nice steady upward graph there'll be ups and downs along the way but with the lord's help uh, let's pray that the upward trend will, will be there to see despite any dips along the way well, let's um